Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast, the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies. How's everybody doing? And welcome back to the Intentional Growth Podcast. This is episode 226. I have my business partner, Pat Hobby, on the show. If you're not familiar with Pat, he had a fractional CFO business for decades before we partnered up. He has been through dozens of acquisitions, sold a company to an ESOP, sold a company to private equity. He also was a director who shared services of a private equity firm managing the portfolio of companies. We met at a conference slash training where we were learning how to grow the value of companies by increasing the sustainable, predictable, transferable nature of the cash flow of a company. Today, Pat and I are going to be having a discussion, just a super fun, casual conversation around this concept of solving for annual income versus solving for long-term business value creation. We're going to be talking about all the different ways you can shift your mindset away from just solving for more distributions and more salary and mitigating taxes this year to focusing on how do you reinvest your cash flow to increase the sustainable, predictable, and transferable nature of your cash flow, therefore increasing your multiple, creating a more valuable business that gives you more options to transfer or transition your management role separately than your equity and ownership of the financial asset, and how understanding this will create more choices and less anxiety for you because you understand how the value game works, and how to grow more value to create more choices, therefore being more intentional with the decisions you're making today and in the future. This is a jam-packed episode full of gold nuggets that I hope make other interviews even more valuable because you have the right lens to listen to those episodes with and how that can help you shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on growing the value of your business with an end in mind that creates more choices and freedom to do what you want with the company. So without further ado, here is my interview with my business partner and dear friend, Pat Hobby. Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value, giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to Arcona.io or visiting the show notes. All right, so here we are. It is the day after Thanksgiving, and we are going to have a conversation. We were sitting, um, it was at a bar, was it a year ago? <laughs> that, like that. And you just said, I wish just someone would listen to us having a conversation at a bar. So we're not at a bar, we're not drinking, and it's 8.50 in the morning. But uh, <laughs> 9.50 in real time. Yeah. So uh, you and I, Pat, over the last year have... Uh, really honed in on this theme of annual income versus long-term value creation. And it's really been tied into this mindset and how you can have a mindset of annual income versus long-term value creation. So, you know, you and I do not have an outline for this conversation. (laughs) So uh, we're going to, we're going to lean on our uh, passion around this topic, but, you know, honestly, where were we when we, started talking about this and how did this spark up? I don't, I don't honestly. Yeah. I, I don't know when the phrase, when we, when we kind of put it all together in this annual income versus long-term value growth, but I think it evolved just over the two years now, unbelievably that we've been talking about this, you know, so many business owners, you know, you used to use the phrase a lot of business owners just grinding it out every day and they look up one day and then they're trying to figure out what to do. I think that kind of encapsulates it. But, you know, so many business owners just have the mindset of getting through the day, the month, the year, you know, they're they're doing, doing, doing because that's how they started the business. They grew the business and they have that mindset and they're like, OK, what what can I take out of the business this year? solving for that annual income between salary and distributions. And I, I get it. I've seen it. I've seen it 
time and time and time again in my career. That's just the mindset people have. And what I want to do in this conversation is unpack the mindset and how the decisions will be different depending on what mindset you have. Because I think that's really like, you know, before we started talking about this, I was talking about, you know, two-dimensional thinking versus three-dimensional is kind of just my way of discussing this. But then really, as, as we have unpacked this, there's the emotional and the strategic and just the decisions that you're making every day in the business, but then there's the financial and like how you can truly facilitate this shift in mindset and what to do, how to reinvest in the business differently, all the things financially versus kind of the mindset and emotional before we go down, you know, and have a conversation around that, let's, what is it like? So like, what is annual income versus long-term value creation? Maybe you want to start with your definition and then I can give mine. Yeah. And annual income is uh, a lot of business owners are looking and saying, okay, how's my business doing? You know, they may look at their monthly financials and they just see if they made income, you know, net income and how much money's in the bank. And, and they, I think it stems from not understanding what the options are. They just are like, okay, I'm working really hard and I want to, I want to be rewarded for it. And the way they think they're being going to be rewarded for it is to take out money this year and put it in their personal bank account. And, and they deserve, and, and they deserve to, to live a lifestyle that's commensurate with their success. I'm not saying that at all, but that they shouldn't take money out, but do I buy a new boat? Do I, you know, go on a big fancy vacation or do, you know, whatever it, buy a cabin, whatever it might be. That's how they view the reward Mm. for their hard work. Yeah, that's good. And and I think there's another way to look at it that they just haven't been exposed to. And so they don't know, but, but, but they, a lot of times they have this uneasy feeling though about it, that something's just not sitting right. Versus, so, because I'm, I'm trying to think, I could go, I, I want to dive into the annual income too, but before we go into the long-term value creation, or before I go into my uh, definitions of these, you know, versus thinking about the value of the business, right? I mean, and we're going to, because I'd love for people to hear your and I's stories around how people their choices and decisions are different depending on how they're thinking about this. Right. And they're like, you had said, there's not a right or wrong. Like, so if you're solving for this year's income, it's not a bad thing to pull out things, you know, distributions to buy things. It's just at what expense, right? Like in, in if you don't know that there's a ripple effect of that, then you're not going to do anything different. And so, so let me, let me, the alternative to that is to, to think of the reward for all the hard work you put into your business over 5, 10, 15, 30 years, whatever the time frame may be, the reward is a more valuable business that at some point in time in your life, you can enter into a transaction and be truly rewarded for it, both financially and personally, depending on what your drivers are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what's important to you. And, and that reward is so much can be so much greater than, than what you can do just by solving for your annual income. It's when you start thinking about what is my long-term objective? Well, and I think, you know, how I've described it to people is, so if you're, if you're solving for annual income, the kind of the choices that you're making is okay, what's the revenue this year? What's my net income? What money is in the bank? So that profit first book that um, we've had, we've talked about in the book from Mike McCallitz is like, how much, how much money is in the bank, bank balance accounting? How do you mitigate taxes for this year? So, you know, buying random things or, you know, through personal expenses, perks, all the different things to solve for your K-1 distributions and salaries, because that's the reward versus what is the value of my asset? And like what I have found, Pat, is that one of the big connecting dots or the bridges between two dots that haven't been there is understanding value. Because like, why would you want to like lose more money technically in a cash flow sense this year, if you have no idea how you're going to harvest it, right? So new GM at 200 grand or new system or new things are going to eat into your money as an individual, right? Like that's, and if you don't know when and how you're going to get a return, like I'm assuming people have in this annual cash flow, it's like, okay, 
a new GM should give me more cash flow next year, right? Like that would be the only loop that you would, you know, see some sort of future, but you're not really putting it in context of a long-term valuable asset. So maybe kind of unpack that comment from yeah. your perspective. So you mentioned the word return and that gets to figuring out what your investment in your business is, whether it's expansion geographically or general manager or a new system and going through the work and it's, it's not always super precise, but it can be pretty close. What's the return on that investment? If I invest $100,000 this year, you know, in opening up a new office in, you know, a different city, what's the return going to be? What sales can I expect? What's, you know, what's the margin I'm going to earn on that? What are my, what are the variable costs related to opening that office? And so, you know, not to get technical, but then Good. That'll, have a con- that'll have a contribution margin and that'll drop right to the bottom line. What does that do? What kind of return am I going to get from doing that? And when you when you do the math on it, you know me, I think math can solve almost every problem in the um, world. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tried to put a qualifier in there, almost every problem. You can you can then weigh those choices. You can say if I put a hundred thousand in opening up a new office and I'm going to get this kind of return, is that worth it compared to the other choices, which gets to strategies, you know, that that I could I could deploy in order to to get the business to where I, I want it to be from a value point of view. I was just there you go because I was just going to say if if the owners and uh, entrepreneurs that are listening in are thinking about return I want higher margins and more cash flow. So let's really let's hit everybody that's listening between the eyes and say that's not necessarily the right way to be thinking about this. That it's not just going from 25% margins to 30% margins, right? Or going from 500 grand in cash flow to two or to 700 grand in cash flow. So explain what do you mean by a return, a return on what and what's creating more value? Well, it, and I agree with what you said in the short term. You got it, you got to. So the, the goal to create a more valuable business comes from having more predictable, sustainable, and transferable cash flow. That is what's going to increase the value of your business. So looking at cho- looking at the choices that you have in front of you and saying, okay, I could take out another X amount of money this year personally and do with it whatever you want to do with it. Or I can invest that money in developing a new product, expanding geographically, hiring somebody on my team, you know, a, a new salesperson, something to expand the business in a way and grow the long-term value of the business. So it's that return on that investment, just like if you bought a piece of equipment. You know, if I buy a piece of equipment and I look at the variable costs related to running that piece of equipment, it's cash out and cash in. I'm going to put some cash out today. I'm going to get some amount of cash in over the years. And what's that return? Because to the degree that you deploy strategies that grow the value of the business and, and well, or that, that create more sustainable, predictable, and transferable cash flow, you're increasing the value of the business. And someday you can get rewarded for that when you, when, when you want to. But, but it gives you the freedom and the choices to do that on your terms when you want and with some knowledge of what that outcome is going to be. So what I'd love to do is kind of walk through like, why there this becomes a problem and then let's you and i have an example that we use in the course in the boot camp of a million dollars in ebitda and 10 million dollar revenue i think we could just kind of just run through, through some basic numbers on this and then tell some stories around it is so the challenge that of not understanding this long-term value that we have seen so many people get into this trap of if you have a million dollars in EBITDA. So let's say it's on 10 million in revenue, whatever the revenue is, but a million in EBITDA paying 300 grand in taxes. And if you're living in Minnesota, roughly. <laughs> and uh, then you've got however much money you want to take out of distributions. And then you've got whatever you want to reinvest in the business. So let's say it's half a million dollars that you want to reinvest in the business. Where does that go? Right now, people are looking at that and saying, I could personally, if I own that company, personally pull down a half a million bucks plus my salary, right? And I want to optimize for that. If you're telling me, Pat, I should be spending money in my business, that's fine. But like, I'm making a bunch of money this year. When they go to sell that business or want to, this is kind of the bridge that you and I have been trying to, to 
to help create is that people don't pay attention to any of this stuff until they want out and they're burnt out, something happens. And then they go, wait a second, my company is worth five times a million, take away taxes, debt, and all of a sudden I'm stuck. I can't afford to get out of my business. So there's this whole like, how do you, you know, the struggling moment that you and I have been talking about, how do you help someone shift their mindset and focus on different, so like maybe kind of take some numbers to that example, the million dollars and what the choices someone would make if they're solving for annual income, if they're looking at that half a million dollars versus the return on that additional reinvesting and how that helps them that shift in mindset. So you could have two different companies and we go through this in the, in the course in the boot camp. same size company, same profitability, all that in your example, you know, a million dollars. And if, if company a has 75% of their business coming from two customers and company B has a very diversified customer base. If company A has no management team, the, the owner is doing all the work, uh, him or herself, and every decision goes through them. And, you know, um, if they get hit by a bus, then the company is done versus company B that's got a really diversified management team. They, they're uh, growth oriented and, and, and those kind of things. If it, and just to give one more example, if company A barely has any financial statements, you know, they're just getting by, they, they happen to be in a good business making a lot of money, but they, they don't really know how well they're doing financially or company B is just on top of it. When the, those owners, if they went to sell their businesses on the same day, 10, 15, 20 years from now, whatever time it was, or two years from now, company A is going to take a hit on their purchase price because of all those factors that, um, that we talked about in, in those examples from the customer concentration and the management team and the, and the good financials. So you may have pocketed some extra money along the way. But if you haven't invested in those types of things, when you go to sell your business, somebody's going to say, well, your, your cash flow is not transferable to me. There's just, you've got all these risks here. And so why would I, why would I pay you a big amount of money for your business when, when you have all these risks? And looking at the alternatives of what to do with that money every year. And if you invested in things that, that reduced your customer concentration problem, expanded your management team, and therefore your role, you didn't have to make every decision, and you got your financials up to snuff, all of a sudden somebody's going to say, okay, the cash flow is more transferable, more easily transferable to me. And instead of getting uh, a three multiple, I'm going to get a six. Three to, oh. The difference of three to six million on the yeah. purchase price. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden your, your purchase price is, has doubled, and, and that will dwarf your extra money that you've taken out over the years and, and, uh, you know, and, and if I'm random things with, so it's just being, but it's the key is being able to look at the numbers and to, and to weigh the choices and to estimate what the benefit is and say, what is it I want to do? Where is it? I want to be. And I, and, and I agree with everything you're saying. I'm thinking about where I was at eight years ago with my mindset or just tons of the people that go through our material is, Okay, Pat, but I don't want to sell. So like, I don't want to sell. So like, great. Like it might be worth $6 million 20 years down the road, but like 400 grand today is more important to me. And so how do you reconcile those two things? Because again, it's this, in a, you know what I mean? Like it's this, I don't understand valuations. I have no way to measure and track what it's currently worth. And I know that I need, I want the money this year. So like I, if I have no plan to harvest this value, why would I do that? Well, that's, that's where I got to earlier. People just don't understand. If, if you laid out this path of you can take the money today and you incorporate that into your personal net worth calculations, and we talk about that and, and how important that is to track, so that at a certain point in time, here's, here's the net worth I have, and I can take passive income from it and do what I want, either start another venture or if you're retiring or, or whatever it is you want to do versus taking the money out today. If you don't have that laid out and understand how that works, of course, you don't have any idea of, of, of the difference. Look, there could be a business owner that says, when I'm done with this business, I'm happy to close it 
lay off the employees, sell the equipment, and I don't care to do anything with it afterwards. And I'd rather just have today's money and not worry about the value of it in the future. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Then they should they should solve for annual income. Well, in, in I've never I've never met a business owner with that that wanted to do that. Not once in my in my career have I. Everybody that I've met wants something more valuable down the road because they have invested their entire life mm-hmm. into this and they, and they want that reward. And I think it's about, like you said, the, the ability to see this. So like going back to the million dollars in EBITDA, let's say 300 grand in taxes, you want to pull 200 grand out. So you got a half a million dollars to reinvest right now. You said it's worth, let's say it's a three multiple. So the thing's worth 3 million bucks. And if I finally start to understand that and you say, okay, Ryan, what are you going to do with that half a million bucks? Right? Like that's the goal. Cause like, you know, and one, one comment on this is what I see too many times is the owner of this business needs that money. If that's the case, now you got a totally different problem because you're, you're, you're above and beyond your own lifestyle of your salary of the owner, where if you need the distributions, now you're even you're you're, you're stunting the growth potential growth of the business because you don't have the ability to to fund it because I mean, you're pulling the cash out. But let's say let's say you haven't gotten into that situation where you truly have the choice. I'm gonna interrupt you there, though. Yeah, dude. In that situation though, that business owner can never quit working. And replace. Because, no, no. because they're using the cash flow of the business to sustain this lifestyle if it's not going to be worth much in the future because they're draining it of all the resources and not investing in it, they're never going to be able to quit working because the day they quit working, that cash flow is gone. And then what are they going to do? And I think that this is the problem where they're, they're talking about this $10 trillion wealth transfer of all these baby boomer businesses. And if 95% of businesses are below 5 million in revenue, like those are 95% of those are jobs because the, the owner's making 200 grand is the tradesperson who needs whether it's recruiting or you know home services or you know consulting or whatever it might be, and if they sell, they don't have the five million bucks saved up in retirement because they didn't save in retirement. I don't know. I, there, there's this massive. You know, we did a, a podcast called "Bridging the Valley" or the capital gap of helping people get above this because it's a thing where people all of a sudden their their lifestyle creeps into those distributions and they use the business as a piggy bank. And I think, you know, in this concept that we're talking about annual income versus long-term value creation, I think if people understand this is the only way to get people to change their behavior. Because why would you change? If you need the $200,000 a year, what else are you going to do? You know, you're going to constantly be making the decision of, do I take and hire someone else at 50 grand or put a system in or do this or that, or do I use that to pay off personal debt, build a cabin? You know what I mean? Like there's that constant personal decision between systems in the business and, and the uh, personal lifestyle. Yeah. And, and I don't want anybody to get the idea that we're saying, if you have built a profitable business, you should not take any money out personally right. and have a nice lifestyle. We're not, not saying that at all. I mean, it's finding that balance between taking enough money out to have a great lifestyle because you deserve that if you're working hard and investing in the business to grow value. I find that people don't do the latter because they just don't understand. They haven't done strategic planning. They don't know where they are in their business cycle. They don't understand what return investing in certain aspects of the business will give them and how that affects long-term value. They, They just don't They've not been educated to, to think that way and to, to understand the numbers and how that works so they can find that balance between today's cash flow, which they deserve. I mean, I, I don't want anybody to think we're saying, oh, don't take any money out of the business, just reinvest every single dollar. No, we're not saying that. That doesn't make any sense. But to not invest in the business in a way that creates long-term value is a mistake. And uh, the example we're using probably is a little out of the range of a lot of people. I mean, a million dollars of EBITDA, that's a lot, I mean, for a lot of businesses. Some of them, it's its a lot smaller. So the, the choice makes it, the choice is a little bit more difficult. 
but what, makes it makes it all the more important to go through the exercise to figure yeah. out what those what the return on those investments will be. But I also on that note is you and I have both personally seen even if you added a zero to a million dollars in EBITDA, this exact concept applies. We've had people with, they've got a million dollar lifestyle and their business is not a worth worth enough for them to sell. So it's, you know, it doesn't discriminate right. the, the size of numbers. But I think to your, going back to your point, Pat, is like, it's because like, if you have a million dollars in EBITDA, 300 grand in taxes, 200 grand, if you identify for the next few years that you want to pull 200 and some thousand out of the business and that you've got the availability of the 500, that's now choices, right? Do you want that personally or, you know, to increase your distributions or do you want to put that in back into the business? And if it's currently worth three, the, the company's worth three and you could have it be worth six, there's this concept, which is why we have principle three in there is people don't know how to harvest that value without selling their soul and selling out. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the big, big misconception that you and I are trying to beat through into the marketplace because you could liquidate your asset and continue being the CEO and and guiding the strategic plan for decades. And people just don't know that. So if you have no idea when and how you could actually get rewarded for that investment, why would you ever do it? Right. Yeah. It is a lack of understanding. You know, that that additional money, you you can make acquisition. You could, I mean, there are all kinds of things, there are all kinds of choices that if you go through the planning process to understand what are my choices, what makes the most sense, and then and then you can come up with a plan to do that. But it starts with a mindset. It starts with this mindset, do I want to grow the value of my business over the long term? And there are a lot of reasons to do that other than I mean, the money, obviously, is, is one of the main reasons. But it gives you more choices. You can reward your employees more. You can just, you know, every stakeholder in the business benefits from a more valuable company. And when you look at what happened in 2020 with the downturn at, you know, in the spring after COVID, under, if, if people haven't taken away the lesson that having a valuable business and all the things that come with that, a strong balance sheet and all those kinds of things, if, if people haven't come in a way understanding how important that is, um, then I, th- I think they've missed a, a really valuable lesson that, that we, a lot of people learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah. in, in you don't want to learn this the hard way. That's the, that's the key, right? Yeah. Um, and then in, I, got, I got to make sure I remember both kind of, because I want to make a comment on, on one of your uh, statements earlier is that, you know, you, you know, you, you said that we're not saying that you can't reward yourself. And I, you know, you and I totally agree on that. And the point is, it's about making the choices. Being in purgatory is like the worst decision, right? So you, there was a, a gentleman that owned a recruiting firm that was in one of our boot camps, a couple million in revenue, a lot, lot of reliance on relationships and the people and themselves, right? And it's okay if, you know, if I just kind of kind of beat this uh, topic home is that if you want to make 500 grand a year with using the distributions in your salary, and you're using that to save for retirement, then you don't need the business to be worth 10 million bucks. You know what I mean? So that's a choice and it's it's okay if you made that choice. But what I see too often is where that person that's pulling the 500 out to buy fun things thinks the business is worth $10 yeah. million. Yeah. So yeah, then they get definitely. to the, they wake up and they go, holy shit, I wish I would have made way different choices over the last 10 years because I didn't know because I, you know, my friend got of ten multiple on their business. Yeah, so they're put. They're put, if they do a personal statement of net worth, they're putting six, seven, <laughs> eight million on there while they're spending every dime on fun stuff. And and they get to that point, they're like, wait a minute, it's only worth you know two. Um, I mean, I we've just seen it. We, I mean, we've just seen it time and time again. Where where you know, I have a, I have a friend, and she says denial is the most powerful force of nature, and it. And it certainly can be. And and the whole purpose of what we do, why we get up every day and go to work is to help business owners understand Mm -hmm. that they can, they can look at this, make their choices, quantify the the results and and just be clear as to whether that, you know, as to how to strike that balance between annual income and long-term value growth. And we're trying to help people shift their mindset to, to understand and see the true benefit 
of this long-term value growth mindset. Because if you understand it, then they, the people listening in can make the choice. It's not up to their advisors necessarily to tell them exactly what to do. It's say, do you want to spend it in the business and reinvest it? And then how, and how are you going to get that return? Or do you want to take more distributions this year because and, of other things? And what's the, what's the trade-off? And what you just said is so important. It is not up to any advisor to tell a business owner what to do. And that seems plainly obvious. So many business owners, they get, they get this advice coming at them from all different directions. It's not, it's not coordinated. There's no integration. They just, it's just, it just seems random and, and they feel like people are telling them what to do. We want, we want business owners to understand enough about how all this works so that they can gather the information, ask the right questions, you know, use it in their decision-making process because it's theirs. It's, 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 it's not up to anybody to tell a business owner what to do, but man, they sure can get a lot better information presented to them in a lot better ways to, to, to make that decision-making process way more effective. It's, it's about understanding what are you marching towards. So if you want to take it from 3 million to 6 million in five years, how much do you have to reinvest to create more sustainable, predictable, transferable cash flow? And then you build the strategies to, to do that. And then you're the one then using everybody else to optimize the plan that you put together versus everybody else trying to force you to buy or invest or engage with different services that you don't have any sort of calculation of how you're getting a more valuable business or more choices. <laughs> and so the one concept, Pat, that uh, someone else, uh, I was on Friday, I was talking to one of our clients that came out of the, the course and, you know, we pulled up their, uh, their income statement and then they're, they're showing us uh, profitability and margins over the years. And, and, the comment was, you know, here's where we reinvest and we did all these things. That's why we are not as profitable. That right there is such a wrong way of saying something because you're looking and of course it looks like they did really shitty the last couple of years, but they reinvested. So there's this concept of normalized EBITDA, burning EBITDA, the J curve, this concept that I want you to explain to people because it didn't reduce the value of the business, it reduced their cash flow. And it's this, this problem, I think, is the number one problem. And again, it's math. <laughs> so yeah. explain the J curve, reinvesting, normalized EBITDA, however you want to unpack this concept. So EBITDA is, is, uh, is, is a mathematical definition of, and it's, the, it's earnings before interest, depreciation, taxes, and amortization. <clears throat> I didn't say those in the right order. But it, it's a proxy for cash flow, and it's what the valuation world uses to to is is the basis of determining value. Free cash flow, right? Yeah, it's not it's not quite free cash flow, but it's a proxy for cash flow, and it, it's it's what the investment world uses to to go into the other would be probably too much for for this podcast. When you make an investment that's going to benefit long term. One of the easiest examples, somebody spent $100,000 building a new ERP system or implementing a new ERP system, but it's going to help them with their sales and marketing. It's going to help with their, op, you know, so they're going to they're going to be able to drive better leads to their sales department. It helps with operations in their manufacturing facility. They can, at a machine level, see what the metrics are to know if the operator had a good day today or not, as opposed to just hoping that they did. If it builds out better financials, all these things that it would do if if they spent a hundred thousand dollars in in twenty twenty to do that, and they're typically their EBIT their EBITDA would have been two hundred thousand dollars, and now it's gone down to a hundred thousand dollars because they they spent all this money. That's an investment. You normalize your EBITDA for one time unusual expenses, so that you get a, a, a truer picture of what the normalized EBITDA is in the value creation or the, the value calculation model. So people get this misconception that, oh, if I spend an extra amount of money, I'm hurting the value of my business, when in fact the opposite's, the opposite's going to happen. They're going to they're spend that. Then when you look at the out-year projections after you spend that money, instead of growing EBITDA at 5%, maybe now you're going to grow it at 10%. And that's going to compound over time. And you're, you're, you're going to 
you're going to benefit from evaluation growth perspective by doing that. So again, it's just understanding, you know, all these, um, all these concepts, you know, if you, if you paid a recruiter $50,000 to hire a top-notch VP of sales, you get to add that back because that's a one-time, it's not something you normally do every year. In that, if you don't do it every year, you get to add that back. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say my EBITDA didn't go down 50,000 because of that, because that's an unusual thing. But now you've hired that person who hopefully is going to figure out how to drive sales and, and increase the value of the business. So, and I think this concept is hard, Pat, if you don't understand valuations. Like if you like if you can't measure and track the value of your business in real time, which most people don't, then right. how you can't like, okay, so I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna invest hundred grand, maybe 150 to reduce. So I'm reducing my cash this year that I can access for what end to what ends, right? And it's this whole concept of like ownership equity and the equity that you own as an asset versus your job and you get paid for your job. People don't know how they, they, they conflate the two and they don't know how it's possible to tap into the funds in that asset they've created without completely selling their soul and selling out. So I think that's where like, again, that forces that annual income thinking because you're not tying the 150 grand and spending to a result. And maybe to kind of uh, this uh, get this uh, topic across, talk about the J curve and private equity because you came from private equity, which let's say let's say do you go back to our example, the million dollars in EBITDA, I've been using it as a lifestyle business, so paying my taxes, sucking the cash out of it, and you as a private equity firm because I come in with a different mindset. So you got the long term value creation mindset. I've got the annual income. We have a deal, I sell to you. How do you treat the business differently than how I've been treating it? And what does that do for you as the private equity firm versus me? So anybody who buys a company, whether it's a, a PE firm or, or a strategic buyer or the man, an internal transfer, whatever it is, their goal is to, is to increase the value of that company over time. A PE firm is not going to buy the company and say, well, we don't care if the value goes up at all. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's not the way the world or anybody who buys it. If you buy if you were to personally buy, buy Apple stock, yeah. you're doing that with the expectation it's going to go up in value over the time. I mean, it, it, otherwise you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that in the private equity world. There's this concept called the J curve. Some people get it. Some people don't. Let me just say it that way. Um, you you buy a company, you want to harvest the value that the previous owner left on the table. That sounds harsh. That doesn't mean you didn't pay fair value for the business. But you're saying, okay, as it sits today, I'm going to pay you fair value. But but I think you've I think you've missed some opportunities to create value in this business. It could be from the lack of investing in plant and equipment. It could be from the lack of systems, investing in systems. It could be from the lack of investing in people, uh, sales, operations, whatever it might be. So when a private equity firm buys it, what we did finally was look at this and say, okay, we are going to have to burn some EBITDA in order with cash flow in order to position this company for a more accelerated growth path in the future in order to harvest that value. So if you think about the letter J, you buy a company and the, and the value is at a certain point where the J starts, it could very well go down. Now you can normalize this for some of the costs that are one time. Uh, some of them you can't, but if you say I'm willing to dip down. So if you think about the letter J when it starts down, in order to make those investments and, and, and position this company to grow in the future. And then you think about the bottom of the J and when it starts back up, it's going to be on a steeper slope than if you didn't do anything. So many times you have to, you have to burn some EBITDA or cash flow in order to make those investments to get on a path that, that is, it is putting you towards that value creation 
that you've you've decided you want to achieve with your business in the long term. Again, irrespective of selling. I mean, just creating a more valuable business. We have a client where their EBITDA was up and down. It looked like a it looked like an EKG where the you know the the line was just squiggling up and down. That wasn't an intentional, which is our favorite word. That wasn't an intentional investment in things that were gonna that were gonna grow value. That was just taking life as it came uh, without without any intention, and and that's what people need to avoid. So let's go back to like in you like you said it is. It sounds harsh, but it's it's. Whether it's harsh or not, that's how the world works. And I've been doing this for five years almost with the podcast. And I think the big challenge of whether someone's happy or not, it's not whether it's a hundred million that they net or a million. It's did they choose the path that they're on? Right. Cause like that's why we're all doing like this as entrepreneurs and business owners, is you want the freedom of choices and the re- repercussions of the risks that you're taking is fine. But as long as you made those choices and it was a calculated choice. So in, in that million dollar example, if I let's kind of maybe bear with me as I two different exam two different scenarios. Well, one, let's say I'm solving for annual income, million dollars, three hundred grand in taxes, two hundred grand in distributions, and maybe I'm sucking, maybe the whole thing. I'm not reinvesting in in the business, and I get tired, so I want out. But the problem is my lifestyle has creeped into that half a million dollars in distributions that I need now. So I can't burn EBITDA or invest in the business because it I have got 30 grand a month in expenses in my personal lifestyle that I need to service. So it's a big lifestyle. Seen it before. <laughs> you and I both have. Yeah. The so therefore there's this, you know, tug of war going on with what to do with that cash flow. So if I get burnt out and I'm trapped in my business like you and I've talked about, I need to sell. Because I can't reinvest in the business because I'm going to have to go get capital from somewhere else or I'm going to have to start reducing my lifestyle to reinvest. So usually, so if I go to sell, it's $3 million. I maybe take away $2 million. Now I at least have five years worth of income to, you know, to use, but I got to go figure out, hopefully I've saved enough out. So when I come to or you- you're 85 and you think you're on your list for five years. Bounce the last check, like you and I have heard recently. So, the, so that's one scenario. But if I didn't, know this concept and I sold and I watched and I, you bought as a private equity firm and then did all these things to double, triple the value of the business over five years that I could have done and would have done had I known this, I'm going to have regrets. I'm going to be unhappy because it wasn't my choice had I known all that information. So there's a private, you know, there private equity firms like that scenario. It ends up with regret because the owner didn't know those things you can still have a private equity firm. Let's say I grew the value of the business and I did it to 6 million. Private equity firms are still in the market to buy those kind of companies, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah. Just, There's just, always going to be more value to create. That's what I wanted to get across right there, Pat, is that both those scenarios are, are totally possible. It just depends on what the owner knows and how they're doing it, whether they had things happen to them that they didn't expect. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I it does. And in your example, if somebody, you know, has got this lifestyle and, and they've kind of overextended themselves, they haven't invested the business. When they go to sell their business, they're probably going to be limited in their choices. They're probably going to have to find a strategic buyer that is of the mindset. We're going to come in and cut a whole bunch of costs, which is just another word for people, you know, and, or, and, or, you know, uh, and, and you went through this where, you know, somebody's basically buying your customer list and your contracts and they don't need any of your people in order to maximize your your net proceeds at close. If, if you've gotten to that point in your first example, then you're going to have to make some sacrifices. You don't have the choices that you would have otherwise mm-hmm. uh, if, if you had if you had been more intentional about how to approach this. And and you and I have seen it time after time after time where those non-financial factors after somebody sells their business have a huge impact on whether they're happy. I think you tell the the story where Bo Burlingham did a study and 75% of the people who sold were not happy after they sold, you know, and a lot of that gets to because they, they didn't have the choice to, to do with their business what they wanted. Or that, and there was unforeseen 
like second order second order effects that they didn't see coming right i mean they just because they didn't know this landscape and so therefore that private equity firm or that strategic buyer just had different intentions with the business that that they didn't align with what that owner wanted and so thinking about this word choices that we keep talking about in that example the first example we're at solving for annual income i've been pulling the money out lifestyle creep now i don't have choices energy and reinvestment and time become the biggest factors of can you get what you want can you do that j curve reinvest in the business or not and most of the time once you learn this and you're out of energy it's very 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 difficult to do this because it's just so because it's hard work so yeah. but let me ask you what you mean I, I i'm not sure what you mean by that my experience is once people we have you and i have seen where people were tired but once they learned a lot of this and figured out they could get more choices, they, they just get way more energized to get on the path that that really helps them achieve what they want. Is, is that what you meant? I, I think you brought up a really good point. Being tired, complacent, looking for something more, knowing that things aren't working, realizing that you implemented EOS, did this, did that, and you're still missing something. That's one thing compared to, I need the hell out of here tomorrow. At that point, if you're too old, some life event happens, the economy, COVID, you name it. You know, if, yeah. if, if you're presented with really hard situations and you're burnt out and you hate the business, you have a visceral reaction to what you've built or what, I, then it becomes, like I just I looking at someone Pat, like over the years where they want this, but then it's like when you start to look at them and say, you're going to have to hire a new president it might take two people in probably 18 months, then new ERP systems and accounting systems. All that's always super fun. Right. And so, and they yeah, just, it is. <laughs> yeah. And then they, they just look at you with just a complete defeat. It's, you know, super simple example, but it's like, you want to sell your house, you need to do full full renovation. You need to live somewhere separate for an entire year. If you know, so it's going to take you twenty four months if you want to. And people just look at you and go, "No way." Yeah. And that, that, this when you're six months from wanting to sell your business, this is that's not the time to start thinking about this. The, the time to start thinking about this. And again, we we keep bringing up sale. It's not about selling. You know, I don't care if you're, you know, if you're sixty five, you may have one mindset. But if you're 35, you may have a different mindset, but those are both situations where you want to grow a more valuable business over time. I, I, don't, I don't care where you are in the life cycle of your business. There's just huge benefits for every single stakeholder in growing a more valuable business. And the reason that you and I, you know, we, I went through some, Challenging marketing time is, you know, getting rid of the word exit, realizing the visceral reaction. I talked to a client of ours and I asked him why he never signed up for years. And he said, I just didn't want to sell. And so that's why you and I rebranded to intentional growth, started to talk about this. And I think it's this lack of understanding on valuations and when and how to harvest that. And they conflate ownership plus the salary. And when I sell, I have to sell to a third party and I'm essentially selling out everything. So by separating your income from long-term value creation, which is one thing that we did now, there's this next concept that you and I have um, been using to, to help this with people is ownership versus your role and how these two journeys can be different. You can liquidate your ownership before and you can keep running your strategic plan and being the CEO. And so these things can be completely different. I want us to kind of unpack that because you say in our in our education that a lot of things that people want seem in it like they can't be done together. But once you understand these concepts, the chance of you getting what you want are on all fronts are pretty high. So let's unpack the ownership versus versus uh, um, management roles. Yeah, it, it it seems obvious that they're different. Whether when the same person is the owner and the president, CEO, whatever their title is, or a couple of people, and you know they have they have operational management roles. It, it's it's really important to kind of try and go through the work to separate those ideas from the, each other, because 
Each one is a, a little bit different. If, if you've got your management team set up right and aligned, they want value growth. They want their, their objective should be the creation of value over time. But as an owner, you want to think about your role as the owner of the business and having this asset that at some point in the future, you want to be more valuable versus your day-to-day operational role. What am I doing as the chief operating officer or the president or the CEO or whatever, whatever that is? And just not conflating those two ideas is really important because like you said, if you set it up right and you understand what your financial drivers are, your personal drivers, you can get to the point one day and say, I can make a change in my ownership role without changing my management role. Or I can make a change in my management role without changing my ownership role. So many times people think I have to do those at the same time. You know, if I sell the business, I can't work there anymore. Or, you know, uh, I I can't. and, And that's just not true. When you, when you, understand those are separate, then you have a lot more choices down the road. And people don't get that until we talk about it and we help them understand it, give them some examples. And to allude to what you said, we we talk about these drivers, which we go through in, in our course in principles one and two, they oftentimes seem in conflict with each other. I can't have A and B at the same time. I can't ring the cash register, get some money out, diversify my withholdings and stay involved in the business, you know, because I love the industry. I love the strategic planning. I hate the day-to-day, you know, stuff dealing with health insurance and property insurance and that. And so people get in their mind that they can't, they can't get out from one versus the other. Mm -hmm. That's just not true. If it's so crazy, because like that, in when people it's so obvious when people don't understand this concept because they say pat i want out in three years first question is out of what out of what <laughs> right like your role doing things do you want your money do you want more for, like what is it that you want out of this five year i want out i am under the i'm under the uh opinion right now as it's as my opinions evolve is that most people are exhausted with the lack of understanding and therefore they're burnt out with their day-to-day responsibilities. And if they truly could continue to have their investment or some, like if they could make these choices separately of each other, they would choose to do different things. I mean, they, they might say, Hey, you know what? I do truly enjoy my job, but I just want, I'm, I'm sick of the financial risk. You know, I got every dollar in this. So that might be one situation or the opposite is I've got a bunch of money outside the business. I'm just sick of the day to day. And there's a, and so they don't know what to do. They're just literally the struggling moment becomes, I just think I should probably sell at that point. Yeah. And it comes from not understanding and not having separated those two roles um, in their minds and, and understanding that there are many choices to deal with each of those independent of each other. And uh, it, it's really cool when we work with clients and the people that go through the boot camp or the, or our digital course. And once that light bulb goes on and they kind of get that, it's, it's just really cool to watch them express that now they, they understand you know, how this is. We had, we were doing one on Zoom, of course, you know, a digital course. And one of the, one of the participants in the course was literally rubbing his temples. You know, he's like, <laughs> I now, and he had his head down. He's like, I get it now. I, I, I get how this can work. And, and I'm just seeing my business in a whole different light and, and what the future can bring. So right. it's, someone else said the, the, the red pill in the matrix, right? Seeing the zeros and ones. And I want to give a couple examples slash stories is of how this mindset of understanding ownership versus versus management and annual income versus value creation could work is so let's say I as the owner of that example that I was telling you about love my industry like I love leading people I love solving cool problems I don't really like working 10 hours a day but I really enjoy what I'm doing I like the identity that I have with it but I want some money. I want, I want to tap into that piggy bank. 
So let's talk about that example, Pat. And then like, let's talk about a different example where I'm sick of my role. I want to solve for the role first before the ownership. So it's kind of like two different ones. One, I want to solve for the financial asset first. Okay. My, my, I don't know if I'm making sense here is let's, let's, let's start with the first one and maybe I can compare it to the, this sort. So if I want to keep running the business, I like my role, like my identity, like everything with the business, but I want to tap the financial value of that business, but I don't want to sell out. You know what I mean? So like, I, I want the money or some of the money, but I don't want to sell out because I want to keep running my company, having the ownership or having the, the ability to make all the strategic decisions. So in that example, and, and there are many ways you can, you can solve for that, but somebody who is in that situation may say, I want to, and tell me if I understood this right. I want to, I want to monetize some of my investment now. Correct. That, that's what I'm not, not doing yet, but I love, but I love what I'm doing. I love parts of what I'm doing from the strategic planning. And just one clarification point. Yeah. I don't want to make more, I don't want to pull more money out of the, out of the income. I want to tap the actual value of the financial right. stock. So, so in that case, that person could sell to an ESOP, an employee owned stock plan. They could monetize their investment, part of it or all of it, but that does not affect their management role. They could still say, I'm still the CEO. I want to do strategic planning. By the way, I'm going to hire somebody to take over the, you know, some of the, what they view as the drudgery of, of the thing, but they can, they can monetize their investment, get some net proceeds, put it in the bank, but yet continue their role as the leader and the strategic planner or their sales or, or whatever it is. Those are, that's an example where those, the transitions happen separately. You can, you can sell your ownership to an ESOP, but keep your management role and, and continue to do the things you love, but yet you've 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 rung the cash register, so to speak, for those of the listeners who are old enough to remember cash registers. Um, <laughs> I know what the sound sounds like. <laughs> yeah. So, does that does that address you? Does yeah, that- and I think you know the the story that I tell to really get that across because I think this is one example that a lot of people struggle with where like they they want to tap some financial reward and not the annual income but the value of the business but they want to keep running it and making yep. decisions being the leader jack stack did that what in the 80s created an esop financially rewarded himself by selling to the esop so he got the value of the business out but he's still the ceo like 35 years later yep. running all the strategic decisions of now a Sixteen hundred and six hundred million dollar company still running it, even though he sold the asset yeah. decades ago. People just—I mean, how many people have been on my show and I told them that that's possible? Like, huh? They just don't even know that they can do that, and then, so it's therefore not a choice. And that goes back to, you know, understanding why you're reinvesting. If you don't know that's an option, because if you think that I love this business. And the only way to monetize my assets is to sell this whole thing. No way I'm going to constantly reinvest in this because I have no intention of selling. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, you can you can do that through private equity if if you get the right partner to do that. You can monetize some of your investment, but continue on in your role. You and I you have even talked about it where like if you have a valuable business, you could almost, for the real estate example again, you could refinance and pulse it cash out. Right. So you could literally go put your own debt on the books if you wanted a million dollars to pull out of the business. Yeah. I mean, that happens. And in, in, uh, uh, I worked, I had a client where the owner wanted to do that. The bank, of course, tried to push that. You know, they would just borrow some money and let it, you know, let him take it take out. <laughs> but, but he had, he more clearly understood what he wanted. And he's like, that's not what I want. I want to, we went down the ESOP route and turned it into an ESOP because that just checked more of the boxes of the things he really wanted to get out of the next evolution of the business. Um, and so it understanding what the choices are, truly understanding what your drivers are. What's, what are you really trying to solve for? Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of times people think it's just money and it's, it, it never is. It never is. So once you once you understand all that, then you can clearly say, and of course, having the financials and showing how is this going to play out over time, that's when you have the lens to look at these decisions and make the choices in, in your best interest. And it 
it helps you make progress when you have that struggling moment. I'm quoting from a book you and I have recently uh, read. Bob Bob Messer, he's coming back on the show hopefully here shortly. And yeah, Um, but you know, it's, it's making progress towards, towards addressing those, those struggling moments that you have. Maybe you don't quite know what they are, but there's just something not right. So I think we, we, I want to go, I know we're running short on time here, but uh, to that struggling moment on the previous example I gave was I wanted to tap the financial asset of this, but I wanted to continue running my business and I can't connect all those dots. The opposite kind of side of that struggling moment is I'm so sick of being the manager or CEO or whatever. I was an engineer, architect, you know, developer, you name the trade, didn't want to be managing all these, you know, I call it adult daycare or what all this stuff of running a business. I need to get out. I don't necessarily need the money. I'm just so sick of it. How are those choices different when you're taking ownership versus management, annual income versus long-term value creation? How could someone start approaching that thought process instead of just calling a broker or investment banker? And the situation, and then I'll shut up, is the if they sold, they would probably realize that they just needed a break and to right. think. And then they they financially sacrificed a lot because some private equity firm is going to burn the EBITDA that they could have. So kind of right. walk through that struggling moment, how their choices could be different. So if, if somebody's in that situation, chances are they haven't invested in the management team they need to run the business. They probably held on to too much. They're probably doing too much. All the decisions are running through them and they're getting burned in. They haven't, they haven't figured out what their drivers are. And so trying to find the balance of all those things. If they were to take some of the, the money and invest in a, in a management team that was growth oriented and strategically strategic thinking folks, they could relieve some of the pressure on themselves. Yeah, they might spend some more money on that team, but chances are they might create a more valuable business down the road. But yet that person could then focus on, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't, I don't want to sell the business. I'm not looking to do that, but I've got this operational problem that I have that I'm here 12 hours a day and everybody's asking me what size paper clips to buy because, you know, I'm, I'm just kept control over everything and I'm burnt out. People typically don't get burnt out because they figured out exactly what they love to do and, organ- and, and create an organizational chart that enables them to do that. Right. Typically, that's not the case. They're, those people don't get burnt out. Those people are energized all the time. You're typically energized because you're, you're, you're doing too much and you haven't invested in in the people or the or the the processes or whatever it is that that might help alleviate that and and just being strategic about that and intentional and thinking what are my options and then taking those strategies incorporating them in financial statements to see what's this going to do to my value over time that's the key to to get into the right place and the and we can wrap up here in a couple of seconds is like in that example and I'd, I'd love to hear your th- uh, your feedback for the listeners of so let's say that's me and I'm like, okay, I'm burnt out all those scenarios. And you tell me like, hey, if you reinvest, if you do these things with the management team, you could alleviate that burnt out issue you have with your role. And then I look at you and say, Pat, I don't have any cash flow to reinvest in the business. I'm truly stuck, right? Because like, let's say I'm pulling all that money out for lifestyle, other things. And now you're telling me I got to probably put another few hundred grand into management teams and systems in order to work myself out of this job? That's going to be a decision the business owner makes. But the goal is to give them the complete and accurate information with which to do that. You know, if somebody has has gotten themselves into a personal situation where they have to take every dollar out of the business to support an extravagant lifestyle, and, and they can't make a change to that, that's tough. Mm-hmm. That's tough to solve. Depending on somebody's tolerance for debt, mm-hmm. you know, can play into that. You know, um, debt used in the right way can be a, a true, can enhance returns on investments and, and help solve some of these problems. I'm not advocating just to go over leverage. Productive but, debt. But used in the right amount can help for that. But, but if somebody's gotten to that point, then they've spent a lot of time too much time with the mindset of annual income versus long-term creation. I've seen it, that people get 
past the point of no return where they they truly are stuck. That's why you and I are so passionate about trying to get this education out to people so that they have the time, energy, and resources to to understand this and make the changes that they want to change, change, make the changes they want to make so that they have a lot better chance of achieving the outcome that they want to achieve. Well said, sir. Um, I know we're just rounded the hour mark. So this has been fun. I'm hoping that we got this concept across. You can tell that this, it takes a long time to, to discuss these things, right? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, obviously if people want more technical information about this, we have a beautiful course, <laughs> selfless plug that uh, they can go check out. You know, let's, uh, because people know where to get a hold of us. I don't have to do the normal, uh, normal dog and pony show with you um, as the normal guest. Your, your definition of intentional, Pat. My definition of intentional involves having all the right information that I need in order to make a decision that's aligned with my objectives. I'm thinking about the business world. It, it is being able to be purposeful because I've, I've taken the time to understand and get educated and develop the information that can help me inform how to make the right decision. That's, that's what intentional is to me. Super awesome. So if we wanted to do the normal thing, <laughs> you want to give your cell phone number out to everybody? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but go to the website, arcona.io, and it's all there. Uh, we'd love to, to interact with anybody who, who uh, wants to talk about this. You can tell we're passionate about it. So we're, we're going to be sprinkling uh, conversations with us, hopefully, going forward in 2021. So this will uh, hopefully we'll have a couple more of these that we can go back and forth over in the coming months. So thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun. Yep, same here.